You're listening to The Path Forward Dayton, a Dayton Daily News podcast where we discuss the most pressing issues facing our region and seek solutions. I'm your host, Community Impact Editor Nick Herkman. Today's podcast is a recording of the community conversation we held on Wednesday, July 27th, on the topic of reclaiming education. Good afternoon, everyone. I am Nick Herkman, the Community Impact Editor for the Dayton Daily News. Thank you for joining us for today's community conversation on reclaiming education. Uh, Our reporting has shown, and we've heard from a lot of you, that a lot of concerns are out there around the new school year coming out of COVID. There's just a lot of issues, a lot of kind of existential dread and angst and a lot of difficulties confronting all of our school communities. So we wanted to talk through, we wanted to convene uh, a panel of folks who have a deep background in all of our school communities to talk through what those issues look like, what what concerns parents have, address some of those um, fears that students have going into the new school year, and to hopefully come through uh, at the other end of feeling a little more empowered and feeling like we can reclaim and take back some of uh, what should be a really special place for all of our communities, our education, our schools, where our children uh, learn and can feel safe doing so. So uh, I'm going to, again, jump through the introductions pretty quickly. I'm Nick Herkman, the Community Impact Editor, and I'm being I'm co-hosting today with Lee McClory. Lee, do you want to give a quick introduction? Hi, everyone. I'm Lee McClory. I, my byline is Eileen McClory, and I'm the education reporter for the Dayton Daily News. Thank you so much, Lee. Uh, Will Smith, do you mind giving a quick introduction? Um, good afternoon. My name is Will Smith. I currently serve as the president of the Dayton Board of Education. Thank you, Will. Jenea White, could you go next? Absolutely. Thank you, Nick. My name is Dr. Jenea White. I have uh, enjoyed teaching for over 25 years, and currently I am um, working for the Northridge Local Schools. Thank you so much, Jenea. Robert Hill, could you go next? Absolutely. Uh, Dr. Bob Hill, Superintendent, Chief Executive Officer of the Springfield City School District. Thank you, Bob. Lauren Sprague, could you go? <laughs> Sorry, my name, is, my name is Lauren Sprague. I'm, the, I'm serving my second year as president of the Hamilton City School Board. Um, I came through the Hamilton as a teacher, building administrator, and a district administrator. So I bring a little different perspective. Thank you for being here. Felicia Carl- Charlton, could you go next? Hi, my name is... Hi, my name is Felicia Charlton. I am a trauma-informed life coach, and I used to serve as a principal for 10 years, and I'm actually switching phones because my camera went out. That's okay. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Um, And yes, thank you all for joining us today for our community conversation. Community conversations are a a series, a Dane Daily News series of moderated panel discussions where we talk through issues that are most important to our communities. Uh, This is obviously kind of getting back into the back to school uh, time frame or in sometime middle of August, different schools, different schedules, but we're getting back into that mindset where parents, teachers, and administrators are starting to, to gear up for the 2022-2023 school year. So you're going to see a lot of coverage from the Daily News, the Journal News, and the Springfield News Sun on these topics in the next few weeks, and we hope to hear from you as well. So we are taking questions from our audience. So if you have uh, Facebook up and you want to throw a question for any of our panelists into the chat, uh, feel free to do so. And one of our digital specialists will kind of work that to us, and we can get that worked into the program. So without further ado, we're going to jump into the program. Uh, Will Smith, do you mind asking, or I'm going to ask you, uh, what's your biggest concern going into the 2022-2023 school year? Um, I guess my biggest concern could be broken down in a few ways. One is just with this being the first year that we're going, starting a school year, just fully open. You know, in Dayton Public Schools last year, we really didn't open our buildings to um, outside people to come in and things until around March, late, you know, um, late March. And so this is really the first school year, school year, it seems, since um, the spring of 2020. And so that is a huge concern. Then also just getting kids back into going to school, getting parents engaged. Um, and then with so many things that happen in the uh, urban environment, uh, concerns around mental health, 
um, just the, the things that our children come to school dealing with outside of the school day too. And so that's something we wrestled with as a district of how do we uh, create those supports? And so that, and then also just making sure we're also supporting our teachers and understanding that teaching in an urban environment and just working in an urban environment is a real labor of love. You have to have a passion to, to deal with some of the things that our, our, our students see on a daily basis. So that's our concern. And then also um, just to continue the progress we made as far as coming back from COVID. Uh, recently, the state did a video around the double teaching work that we had done. And so it had shown a, a vast improvement over where we were in some of our metrics from a previous the previous year. And so really concerns about how do we keep that growth going? You know, we don't wanna just pat ourselves on the back and then remain stagnant. So we wanna continue growing. So that's, that's our, my biggest concern is how do we uh, deal with all the issues that we have as an urban environment while also trying to excel and keep growing. Thank you, Will. And this is an open question to anyone, really. I, I, obviously, everyone has different concerns going into the, the new school year. Lauren, do you mind going and addressing some of the concerns you might have? Sure, uh, sure. The uh, definitely the social, the social emotional issues are a major concern to us. If a student can't come to school with without all the baggage from home, how do they learn? And we are a uh, we have a high percentage of free and reduced lunch. We're, uh, we're, we're in a problem area at times, but our students still come to school with a lot of those same issues. Um, we've made great gains too on, on some of our matrices as we move forward. We like to keep those moving forward, but trying to get a handle on the mental and social issues are, is main concern for us too. I'd also ask, 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 add one more thing, um, just the finances of schools. It's so volatile anymore and making sure that we continue our progress, even though we have probably more limited resources than we used to. Lauren, can you talk a little bit more about that? What do you mean by uh, your concern about the finances? Do you think there needs to be more levies or what, what exactly do you mean? <laughs> oh, I don't believe that we need more levies. Um, okay. uh, I don't think any of us want to go through those. And I've gone through those a few times. No, I think uh, we are heavily dependent upon state funding. A large percentage, I want to say close to 76% of our funding comes from the state. The state changes rules every year, or seems like every year or every other year, which puts us, as we're looking forward into the future, how do we provide a stable environment when the, it's shifting sands on the, um, on the financial end of things? I don't believe a, a, many people are going to have success. I hate to say that with levies at this point with our current, current environment or current um, economic environment. So we have to find ways to, to deal with this at the state level. We all know that state funding is, is difficult. Add to that, uh, we pay a large percentage, of, not a large percentage, but a large amount of money to, uh, through EdChoice to different private entities. Um, I don't want to get into that too much right now, but, but again, it provides an uneven uh, financial uh, situation for us trying to you know there's an expectation that we look five years out as we're looking at finances how do we do that when it continually changes and we we're trying our best to right size our staff so that we don't have a major issue but it's still a problem in, in all our eyes i see a lot of nodding so i assume i'm on the right track so yeah it looks like uh bob and will also have similar uh experiences there. Yeah. Bob, do you want to talk through some of the things you're seeing in Springfield? <clears throat> sure, Nick, I appreciate that. You know, I, I think Will and, and Lauren both kind of hit the nail on the head. It all starts with the mental health aspect, uh, but not only that mental health aspect of the students, but that of the staff. Um, you know, our teachers at the end of last year, as all educators were worn out, the pandemic has really challenged everyone to deal with things that we never really thought we would have to deal with. So we're hoping that once we get people back here, we can really focus on culture 
and you know starting with the staff mental health which is going to then meet the needs of the students where they're at being in an urban uh, impoverished environment uh, you know just as Dayton and Hamilton were all very very similar in that regard uh, there are a lot of outside forces that we don't have the ability to handle or, or help with so we try to control what's within our walls and that starts with providing that safe environment where students and adults are both accepted and embraced. And that's the key, I think, to moving us forward. Uh, everything that was mentioned, you know, especially with, with Lauren and funding, uh, that's always problematic when you get into urban districts where we do receive, you know, 76, 80% of our funding from the state, and we're not able to raise money locally. Uh, you know, levies are really not an option because the size of them to raise the needed funds becomes problematic. So taking that all into account, how do you continue to move education forward and meet the needs of the student on a limited budget, especially when you have a legislature and a political climate where they continue to take dollars away from us through ed choice programming, you know, $15 million a year walks out our door for private education, not a level playing field. How do we put that all back into place with the resources we have, address the mental health, address moving academically forward and continuing to meet the growing standards that are placed upon us by our politicians and the Ohio Department of Education. So it's really just a culmination, I think, of all those things, but mostly ensuring that we can provide that environment where our adults and students feel supported, loved, and able to move forward and move past all the trauma, I think, that they've experienced over the past three to four years. Jenea, can you speak as an educator about what you've seen in terms of mental health issues with the kids you teach in the last year? And how have you and your school district addressed those issues? Mm -hmm. Thank you, Lee. Um, so there were um, glaring mental health issues that um, rose and that uh, collectively we as a staff observed. So whether it was um, lack of socialization or just social withdrawal completely, um, various forms of anxiety. Um, so in some cases where we know that kiddos were um, not able to um, have time with peers and that kind of a thing. Um, now coming back to school, some um, separation anxiety as it relates to having to leave families and parents. Um, we, we saw a lot of depression, issues with self-regulation uh, was, was, was fairly common. Um, and ADHD, while prevalent pre-pandemic, uh, we know that um, trauma-enforced uh, occurrences can exacerbate um, the, the impacts of um, ADHD. There were uh, cases of, um, very honestly, little to no um, wanting to, you know, refusing to do work. So work refusal, um, instances where uh, kiddos really struggled in those spaces. Um, so those those were all pretty pretty apparent to, to, to note. Um, in regards to what I did within my classroom and what the district focused on, it was important as, as Bob was noting to really establish a culture and climate where kiddos feel safe, right? So um, that being the case, just trying to provide um, a very nurturing environment in my classroom um, there were many opportun opportunities for um, students to um, engage with each other and talk about feelings, right? We had something called a sharing circle in our classroom uh, where we would pause between um, academics and instruction delivery um, to just maybe meet back at the, the sharing circle and um, talk about how we're feeling, you know, right? Just take opportunities to just kind of check with self. Um, also, um, in my classroom, we have a peace corner. 
Um, and this was encouraged by our school counselor that every classroom have a space where if a kiddo is feeling overwhelmed or just needing to push pause, right? Um, then they have a space that they can just go to and maybe journal, or in my case, teaching second grade, maybe they just want to hold a stuffed animal or just have an opportunity to take a break, a pause point, and then re-enter into instruction when they feel more balanced. Um, I've also spoken before about um, our district having a school-wide document um, where each of the classrooms, and this is school-wide, so elementary through high school, um, a document that encourages um, focus on behavior and social skills. Um, and this document uh, is situated so that each week, every classroom is focusing on a different skill. So perhaps it's practicing empathy, right? What does that look like? Or um, how to uh, use maybe an assertive voice. What's the difference between using an assertive voice and an aggressive voice when you want to um, share your feelings? Learning how to self-regulate, right? So beautiful opportunities always to have these open discussions, um, whether it's, again, in my case, as a second grade teacher, whether it's through um, a little video where, you know, characters are, are going through different scenarios. And after the little video, uh, we all have an opportunity to engage at our table teams or in our sharing circle to discuss what that character was going through. Or have you ever experienced anything like that? Or if you were that character, what would you do? Right? Um, so just lots of um, engaging conversations. Um, lots of opportunities to, to, to enjoy some mindfulness, whether it's deep breathing or, again, having opportunities to share in our circle or friends needing to step away into the peace corner. I, I love those suggestions, Janae, and I think those, those sound fantastic. And it touches, again, both Janae and Felicia had fantastic pieces in this past Sunday's Ideas and Voices. So I wanted to go to Felicia real quick to talk through um, uh, Janae talked a lot about uh, taking intentional pauses and, you know, taking a break from some of the, you know, when, when a student's feeling overwhelmed or even, you know, faculty or administration, like anybody, you know, I think today is feeling that sense of being overwhelmed. So do you mind speaking a little bit about what you wrote this past Sunday about taking those pauses and some of the other uh, strategies that you have for coping with some of that? All right, thank you. Yes, you mentioned a lot of a lot of those things. I think as a practitioner, one of my concerns is making sure that the teachers are equipped with the knowledge. Um, a lot of teachers don't know how to do those things. They're not trained um, on how to do those things. They're very focused and stressed in dealing with curriculum. And sometimes they feel like it's extra for them, even though we know that it's essential because of COVID, it has always been essential. But I think it's really important that districts focus on using some of those um, dollars that they do have for wellness to get teachers trained so that they feel comfortable. I've seen it work really, really well when teachers have the skill set, they have the passion, but I've also seen it not work. And I've seen students be re-traumatized and triggered because someone who teaches a, a, a core content subject is not, doesn't, doesn't have the skill set to do that work. And so I think that as the superintendents talked about earlier, focusing on training the teachers with and giving them the tools, not a one and done, but giving them the tools while providing them with the coaching as well. So teaching a teacher the specific skills, giving them a choice of the skills, because there's a myriad of things that were just mentioned that you can use, but for some that's overwhelming. And then making sure we're checking in with them to see how is this working for you? How is this showing up for you? Is this working for you? What other support do you need? I think that when COVID we went back to school for COVID, there were a lot of these things that were mentioned, but not necessarily properly implemented because of time and space. And so if we're truly talking about emotional wellness for teachers, we're not talking about cramming more things on their plate. We're talking about making sure that we're creating space for them to think and to collaborate and to implement with intention, not just to check off. And so the dual part of that as well is when you have staff professional development, possibly 
adding coaching sessions that are non-academic for them. Do they have an opportunity in a safe space to talk about their feelings, talk about the fact that they're stressed without fear of retaliation or negativity from a trained professional? And so these terms are readily available. They're usable. There are videos on them. But I think sometimes if we empower people, we need to make sure that we're not overburdening them and that we are doing this in an effort that will be more sustainable, not just something to say, hey, we did this emotional wellness thing. So I want to come back to your point on this, because I, I think this is also part of why we see so many teachers leaving the profession is because they truly are overwhelmed. So I wanted to come back to that point. Um, but for I also wanted to make sure that we uh, addressed learning loss. Um, that's been a huge topic of conversation in the last um, two years, really, um, just how many students have lost learning opportunities, um, struggled with online learning. Um, so I wanted to ask Lauren, what are some of the strategies that your district has used to address learning loss? Well, thank you. Um, well, first of all, we were, when we received our ESSER funds, we, were, um, we received $44 million in ESSER funds and specifically targeting what are we going to do about these things? And uh, we had quite a bit of discussion. And then our, our senior leadership in the district came to us with a, uh, with a kind of a crazy idea of hiring 80 new teachers uh, to do co-teaching in our K, uh, K3 classrooms. And I said, you'll never do it, 80 teachers, you know, in this environment. And they did. Uh, and then they added another, uh, they added another 16 teachers from some of our Title I. And we taught, we did co-teaching at K through three. Uh, the benefits were incredible. Um, and, and let me add to that, we moved some of the support staff we had at K three, moved it up to four through six. So we were able to hit everyone from K all the way to sixth grade, provide them with the support they needed. The, um, I have not seen the end of the year results yet, but midpoint through the year, we saw an incredible uh, results in student learning. We had um, in the previous year, uh, students in math and reading and let's say second grade were far below where they needed to be uh, at the midpoint of the year. And with that, bringing that, bring those additional teachers into the classroom, we are far surpassing where we needed to be. So um, we are trying our best. Uh, we already talked about finances. Um, by the way, uh, Bob said something about the, the millions going out of the room in Ed Choice. We're about $1.8 to $2 million go out of our budget for Ed Choice. But with those funds, if we had those funds back, we can maintain the co-teaching co environment. And we're trying our best to say, okay, over the next few years, how do we keep that going? How do we supplement that? Uh, because the gains were just incredible. We've also done more things at the um, at the secondary level to help with that, uh, more training, more peer-to-peer um, -peer cooperation type of things so students can help each other. Um, those type of things are, are what's going on in our, our schools. We also had a virtual learning academy or institute, and that went very well for those kids that just weren't ready to come back to the school buildings yet. Um, but those, but the co-teaching provided us a lot more bang for our buck than we than we expected. Does that answer? <laughs> no, that, that's fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That's yeah. a great response. And I guess on in in a similar vein, I wanted to ask Will. Um, this is a this is a reader question I wanted to address from Malcolm Keith asking: um, With eighty two percent of ninth graders in the city of Dayton reading below grade level, where in the county can uh, almost twelve hundred ninth graders get reading tutoring to help them move forward academically? I think that's that's a huge a huge piece of uh, what goes to what Lauren was speaking on. We also did some of the uh, double teaching and Dayton Public, and you know there was a Dayton Daily News article actually recently about uh, the growth that came out of that. On top of that, we also added new math specialists from fourth to sixth grade, uh, new reading classes for seventh to tenth grade, uh, different workshops, and a lot of that came through ESSER funding as well. Um, one of the things when you look at a ninth grader currently, so if you're a ninth grader right now, you spent last year, which was the first year just in, you know, say if you're in Dayton, 
you spent your eighth grade year going through your first year back masked up with not a real sense of school because it was only students and teachers and staff able to come in. So you weren't going many places. You weren't doing those things. Then you were for seventh grade, you were virtual the whole year. And in sixth grade, you didn't finish your sixth grade year because of COVID. So you look at a ninth grader right now, their last time of being in school with, you know, heavy instruction and some of the wraparound services was the middle of their sixth grade year. So that is that shows and, and with COVID, one of the things that really affected things was it wasn't as if schools were just closed because schools were closed. Society was closed. So there were no, you know, it became a if you have the resources, you can have some ability. So I think that's another piece of how trying to find those pieces. I know we do some mentorship work. We try to connect more uh, with a lot of the resources out there. Um, another thing is just the high cost, trying to find things that aren't costly for our families, trying to get that because so many of our children, time they're reaching ninth grade, um, are, are far behind. And especially now with uh, the slides that came because of COVID. So it's really trying to not just date either. It's really just how do you find those resources? And so we have some in our schools. We have been working with uh, different groups. I'm excited to see some of the partnerships. Um, Ms. Angela Worley has been doing a phenomenal job with outreach and bringing in uh, new partnerships into the buildings now that, you know, I, I don't even want to say we're safe now because we just see that numbers are rising again. So which adds to another concern, but uh, really just reaching out and finding partnerships, finding ways that our students can can find those um, those tutoring kind of opportunities. And then it also then you bring in transportation uh, issues where you have a community where transportation is also a barrier. Um, you know, internet access and, and uh, high speed uh, data access. So you have all of these barriers that constantly work to where if you say, hey, we found this new way to tutor our children, then you still have to navigate through those barriers as well. And I, I will say for the uh, person who put the question out, everyone should go check out Mr. Keith because he does an outstanding job with the youth in our community. And so I definitely want to, to send praises his way for the work that he does. But that is definitely a huge thing on our plate is how do we how do we work with our youth right now so we don't see what we have now? But then how do you not just throw away the children you have now that are behind? And how do you constantly work with that? So that is a big thing on our plate is finding those connections and doing all that we can to remove some of the barriers for our kids to get to those connections. Bob, I saw you nodding quite a lot throughout Will's uh, comments. Um, can you talk about some of the similarities that you might be seeing in the Springfield School District and how Springfield has been addressing learning loss and, um, I mean, the barriers that are coming up for Springfield students? Sure. That's, you know, I, I think Will was channeling through me and saying the exact, I mean, we have such similar experiences with our kids and with reading and, and just pointing out the fact that our current freshmen would struggle. You know, this was, th this freshman class struggled more than I've ever seen a freshman class in 26 years as an educator. And it all goes back to the events related to the pandemic and, and where they've been and what they experienced. One of the things that I was looking at this morning specifically was student attendance. And it's the worst that I've ever seen it. Uh, you go back to 2018, which was really the last normal year that we had. There's a 30% um, increase in chronic student absences. So if you think back to our previous discussion about um, social, emotional well-being and mental health, that's the key. If we can't change our culture to ensure that the students want to be here and that the adults want to be here, how do we get them here, right? So Springfield has done many of the same things. We've added uh, multiple positions, um, attendance, additional attendance officers, additional intervention specialists. We added a reading specialist position that we're attempting to uh, spread throughout the district and at least put one at each of our 10 elementary schools and our preschool. Uh, we have shifted our focus uh, with literacy 
to the implementation of a very robust literacy framework that is based on the science of reading, which really takes us back to, it's a move away from how we taught reading for many years, where we're looking at, at phonemic awareness and students' ability to deconstruct words. Um, you know, we, we did it wrong for a while and, and that's fine, but we're moving forward with it. And by implementing all of these different things and providing a consistent um, and equitable experience for all students across all 16 buildings, that is going to help us move forward. The other piece I would add uh, that's probably relevant to this conversation is our summer experience. So we have poured quite a few dollars into a very robust summer experience the past two years. Uh, we were able to serve over 800 students this year. And then we coupled that with an adult summer experience for our educators, where we provided some very robust professional development. And I believe around 200 staff members signed up for the first summer session. Second summer session was in July, and I have not seen those numbers yet. But, you know, putting all those things together, it's really my hope that we're going to be able to address this slide and, and really reactivate the learning. I don't like to call it learning loss anymore. It's just a reactivation of learning. Thank you so much, uh, Bob. That, I think that's fantastic perspective. And thank you for kind of that overview of all the, the different activities that uh, your district's engaging in. I wanted to take a quick break just to reintroduce the program to, to, reader, to viewers that might be joining us a little bit late. I'm Nick Kirkman, the Community Impact Editor with the Dayton Daily News. You're listening to a community conversation about reclaiming education. We, we've convened a panel of folks from around the region, uh, educators, administrators, parents, talking through some of the issues that they see might be problematic going into the 2022 and 2023 school year, and, and hopefully getting through not just solutions and identifying things that can, that can help teachers and students as, as they're going through what as, as everyone knows, a, a pretty difficult time just in society, uh, just but focusing education specifically and the, the issues that are facing um, those in education right now. So I wanted to reintroduce some of our panelists. We have, um, we have Will Smith, the board president of Dayton Public Schools. We have Janaya White, a teacher and parent. We have uh, Bob Hill, the Springfield superintendent. We have Lauren Sprague, the Hamilton City Schools board president, and Felicia Charlton, a trauma-informed life coach. So I'm going to jump back into the questions. If any, I also wanted to remind folks that if you have any questions as, as a viewer, please chime in. Uh, our digital specialists will work those up to us and try to we'll get those into the program and to our panelists as, as we can. So if you have anything, please leave them in a comment on Facebook and we will address those as we get them. So speaking of that, I wanted to, to touch on a Facebook comment that we just got. Um, and I also wanted to piggyback it on another question we had prepared for Jenea. Um, there's been a lot of talk about teacher uh, turnover and burnout, Jenea, and, and you talked about some of this in your piece in the, in the Sunday Ideas and Voices column. Um, why are teachers struggling so much and why is education so difficult to be in right now? Mm -hmm. um, so for various and sundry reasons, right? Um, I believe uh, one of the issues is um, difficulty with classroom management. Um, some teachers really struggle and are challenged in that area. And that was pre-pandemic, right? Uh, but then you couple that with all uh, that comes with, with where we are now, um, trying to, to, to reestablish what school looks like, right? Um, since the onset of the pandemic, um, classroom management and all that a teacher has to juggle within a classroom, um, not just in regards to behaviors and the onset of um, social and emotional issues, but the varied learning levels, having to, you know, differentiate instruction across your classroom. There are just uh, many layers there. Also, um, I've considered that, that some teachers um, have, have struggled with kind of like deteriorating uh, relationships with, with parents. So just really trying to set um, strong partnerships with parents. Um, I know that within our school district, it's a real aim um, to uh, engage families 
So we have a, a committee dedicated to family engagement and, and trying to really advocate for parent partnerships. So that's an issue. Um, also, I got to throw this in again, the shifting expectations for teachers. It's just on a rolling cycle, right? <laughs> it just keeps, keeps evolving, keeps changing. Um, so you have to really be committed to the field. You know, you, you have to, to, to want to engage. Um, you have to, to, to want to be open to, um, you know, trainings and conversations with colleagues um, and, and, and really just vested in the field. Um, so those are definitely uh, thoughts that emerged in thinking about that. Absolutely, thank, thank you, Janaya. And I was gonna ask, Phil, yeah, Felicia, would you like to go? Um, thank you. I was thinking that a lot of it is um, they feel devalued in this work because they have not been humanized as the first responders that they are. I think that um, we, we definitely need and we upheld our hospital workers and we praise them, but the teachers were do your job and they were at home with their families. They were displaced as well. And so they don't feel taken care of. And there's some moral injury that's taken place is, am I really valued uh, in the work that I'm doing? Do I feel appreciated? And is it showing? How do I carry on when I'm carrying my own burdens um, in this field? And so I think education has an uphill battle with really looking at teachers through this pandemic and through these emergency situations as first responders. And, um, making sure that we're meeting their emotional needs, not just telling them to meet the needs of their students, but we're providing them with non-academic, emotional wellness, uh, support in a safe environment, not in a group, not with the principal there. I'm doing some of this work um, in some schools in New York with some of the principals and they're very appreciative to, he to be able to say, I'm tired to be able to say I, I suffered, to be able to say my budget's down and I don't know what to do and not feel as though they're going to be judged for their, their pauses or, or their moments of hesitation. They still wanna be there, but sometimes they don't feel safe enough to say, I'm trying to figure it out alongside you. I'm not giving up, but I might not have all the answers. To follow up on that, um, what do you think the public can do to help support teachers? I think just how we view them, how we talk to them, uh, making sure we're speaking to them with respect, especially uh, those ones that we know are, are do, working hard, making sure that we see them as human, not as robots, making sure that we give them grace and understanding that empathy can exist, but it does not take away from the accountability. So while I'm giving you grace, that doesn't mean I lose the expectation for the rigor, but I also see you as human, not as some machine robot who is responsible for, for my child. So I think that just taking a pause and making sure that when we see something right, we say that as well. We are very, education is very delicate and it's up for discussion. I mean, we owe it to our children, but there's a lot of things that are working well that I've even heard today. And so we have to acknowledge those things and sit in those things so that we can teach people how to treat us and making sure that administrators and districts and leaders are saying, hey, we have a lot of work to do, but here are the things that we're doing right. How do we continue to foster those things and uplift those things so we, we can give people confidence back to say, hey, we're, we're having a hard time, but we're moving forward. Absolutely, absolutely, thank you. So I wanted to take that opportunity then to, to ask Will and also Lauren and Bob can chime in a little bit after, but what is your district doing to address that, that the, the turnover we're talking about, some of that burnout and to hire enough teachers. There's, you know, kind of a nationwide uh, job shortage uh, or I'm sorry, a, a kind of a labor shortage. So what what is being done in your district to address um, teacher shortages? Okay, I'll go first with that. Um, first, I just wanna say, I appreciate the, the viewpoints that were already given. Um, and it makes me think, even think back to when I was in school. When I was in school, it was known, you know, I walked out the door and the first last thing I heard was, you better not cut up in that teacher's classroom. You know, a teacher was a revered person in our community. It was, you know, if the teacher called my mom, my mom would leave her job and come up. You're not going to do that here because this teacher is not only trying to educate you, but everybody in this classroom. And so you're not just disrespecting her, you're disrespecting me, you're disrespecting your classmates and their parents who send them. Like it was a whole community thing of you do not come to school and give your teacher grief. And I think 
a lot of the times we look at what happened with COVID. But if we're honest with ourselves, COVID just really exacerbated a lot of things that were already there. And so, you know, with different communities and a lot of the socioeconomic issues of, that we see, where, you know, parent-teacher conferences used to be a, a packed house thing. Now it's, you know, you might catch three or four parents there and there's so many different things. A parent might have kids in three different schools. A parent may be working second shift. And then with COVID, now you have this disillusion of the whole relationship at times where now we're only communicating through email and we have a Zoom conversation and there's no real thing there. Um, and I think also you spoke on it, Nick, where there's this um, nationwide shortage. But I want us to also get away from putting everything on the shortage and then also just look at what are we doing? People want to be valued. People want to be heard. I think one of the things that we can do more of is just listening to teachers. A lot of education comes from politicians. It comes from the state house. It comes from the um, you know federal level of this is what we're going to teach. This is what we're not going to teach. This is what teachers couldn't do, can do. This is what they can't do. You know, how are we working in those things? So uh, one of the things that our district and our board had really pushed on was when teachers leave, are we doing real exit interviews? Are we finding out why are they leaving? Are they, are they, are then after that, are we being truthful with why they're leaving and then working with HR, working with curriculum, working with our chiefs and their coaches to implement these things so we don't see those same things come up if someone leaves? You know, are we, um, are we doing mentor support, professional development? Some of the things now we're doing uh, check-ins at 30-day intervals, uh, walkthroughs to support staff uh, from our curriculum team and our cabinet chiefs, uh, workshops, you know, and it's not a, uh, we want to come in and catch you doing something wrong. It's, I just want to come in and, and check on you, not how you're doing as the teacher, but how do we just check on the, the person that is the teacher? Um, I think that's what we saw really happen with COVID is, you know, when people were doing um, virtual learning, you saw it so much on social media and things where they're like, this can't be them, open the computer. And then two months in, people were like, okay, open these schools back up. We got we to gotta send these kids back, come back, do your job. You need to, if you're going to be a teacher. Be, and so there was just such a, it feels like there's just no love there. You know, people, and I said earlier, you know, teaching is a labor of love. But if you talk to a lot of the teachers that leave, they're not leaving because they hate teaching. They're leaving because they don't like the teaching profession and all that comes with it. And I think until you address those things, uh, the conditions, the, you know, that's one of the things we're working on. One-to-one um, -on -one technology, mental and behavioral health supports for teachers and students. You know, we can't just say have better classroom management. Well, how are you getting me through this? How are you helping me through this? How are you giving uh, support around those things? Um, and then also with recruiting, it's, you know, being detailed with that. We created a, a new Urban Teacher Academy with uh, four of our local universities to grow our own as well. Like, how are you putting development into people? Because a lot of our teachers in our district, uh, a large percentage in Dayton Public Schools have only been here one to five years. And then you have another large percentage that have been here 20 plus years. So then if you look at it and you're forecasting, you have a lot of people who will no longer be here in, uh, down the road. So then how are you making sure you're training up those teachers you have? How are you giving them those supports? Do you part, is it partnering with them, uh, somebody to learn some of these things? Because you may have a teacher that can create uh, the greatest lesson plan, but is struggling with classroom management. And then on the flip, you might have somebody with great classroom management, but is struggling on some of the other pieces. How do you support them without coming and saying, you know, you're doing this wrong or you need to be checked on this? So it's really about, like uh, Ms. Charlton said too, is how are you embracing them as the person? So I think that's what our board has been really pushing is how do we do a better job of that? Is how do we listen to teachers and say, what is it you need? And then on our end, how do we make sure that we support our teachers with what they need and seeing how do they want to grow and making sure they grow? Bob, I wanted to also ask you the same question. Um, what is Springfield doing to recruit teachers? And also, can you just speak on why having enough teachers in school is so important? Um, talk about class sizes, that kind of thing. 
Sure, absolutely. You know, I think we're doing a lot of the same things that Will talked about that they're doing in Dayton. We've really tried to revamp our entire human capital department to really change culture. Uh, we are focusing on the whole person as we are the whole child. So how can you better support teachers? We have restorative circles here in the district, uh, you know, going back to credit the indigenous people where our adults, as well as our students, actually have the opportunity to sit with peers and discuss how they feel and why they feel and what's going on in their lives. So by shifting to that more caring culture, that's how you attract people. Uh, it has been a challenge, but we are trying to focus on what we can do as opposed to what we can't do, that real deficit mode of thinking. Um, you know, how can we make Springfield an attractive place? How can we bring teachers to live in the community? How do we change the community? Um, what supports can we put in place? Another example that I, I like to cite is we were able to secure blocks of time with uh, mental health therapist, actually a psychologist for our teachers, free of charge. You know, it was first come, first served. They filled up the blocks within a week, I think, which was fantastic. I like to joke that I took up 10 of those blocks, but I really didn't. So <laughs> anyway, you know, and, and teachers, having a certified, qualified professional teacher in the classroom to your other question uh, is so importantly, I can't express how important it is for us to find those educators. And it goes back to us creating those partnerships. We recently secured a grant with Wittenberg University here in Springfield to kind of help grow our own. And one of the things that I talked about with our executive cabinet yesterday was how do we, and this really goes for all school districts across the nation, why would we not create our own teacher programs? Why would we not focus on those high school kids that might have an interest in education and find them opportunities to pair with our veteran teachers and our younger teachers and really learn the field? And then we've created our own pipeline of people to rejuvenate, revitalize the whole field of education. Um, one other piece that I, I really I wanted to say, circling back to what others have said, I think one of the greatest detriments to us right now and to education in general is the social media noise that continues to exist. People can hide behind screens and criticize educators principals, board members, superintendents, and that causes an extreme level of stress on everyone. And it really leads to why people want to leave. So we as a district, we as educators, we as board members have to find ways to support our teachers, have our teachers backs and engage the parents bring the parents to the table, listen to them. What can they do? You know, one of the questions I see in the chat was, how can um, uh, parents support children at home? Speak highly of your teachers, give them grace, help your students read books, come to your schools, be a part of parent-teacher conferences, volunteer, be an after-school mentor, be a tutor if you have the opportunity and, and ability. It takes a village to raise a child. We've all heard that proverb many times. That is the truth. And the only way that we're ever going to recover from everything associated with the trauma related to the pandemic is by all coming together, all coming to the table and making this happen. Absolutely. Thank you, Bob. Lauren, did you want to address any of those issues uh, as well? Well, I think they, they hit the nail on the head. I mean, it's, it's not a, a singular issue. It's a, such a wide-ranging issue. And for as an educator, uh, I know that education itself is a lightning rod for almost any societal ill. You know, the first thing they go, well, then we got to teach that in school. Um, we, and it, it just comes down to and it puts a heavy burden on the shoulders of the teachers. I love the ideas that, that both uh, Will and Bob stated about 
bringing the teachers together. Um, we want to make the best environment possible for our teachers. The dealing with kids, I don't think people in the business world realize that dealing with kids day in and day out is so exhausting. Uh, trying to keep all of them together, trying to keep the, you know, all these things on track is so exhausting for our teachers. And uh, someone said, give them grace. And that is exactly right. It's giving them grace. I also want to say it's not just teachers, too. I mean, we, we've seen the same thing with our police officers um, and clergy, just trying to find people to do uh, clergy work, uh, being a pastor and stuff. That's difficult to do. Um, it's, it's all about, I think Will said, it's putting value on, on that profession, on what they do as, as a teacher and how very, very important it is uh, to be a teacher in these days. They're needed. Uh, Jenea, I wanted to ask you, what are the same question from Facebook? Um, what are some effective things that parents can do at home with their children to support learning efforts? Mm -hmm. uh, first, I want to talk about how important it is um, that we keep a very open line of communication as teachers with parents. Make sure that you are um, giving it your all to really let parents know, hey, we want you to be a part. Um, my whole thing is I make sure that parents understand this is not a Jenea show by any stretch. I want this to be a dedicated partnership as you and I partner together to enrich your child, right? Um, so just making uh, parents authentically feel that they absolutely always have a seat at the table. Um, and, and, and that's that's critical. So, so doing that, uh, taking opportunities to invite parents in, whether it's to be a guest speaker, whether it's to share uh, with, with teaching kiddos how to do a special craft or, or, or share a storybook. Um, so inviting parents in at any point uh, in regards to um, academics, making sure that parents uh, are always aware of what it is we're working on in the classroom um, so that what kiddos are, are being taught that can you know, carry over to at home so parents can see and be a part of, of that enrichment. Um, so, so various things that, that parents and families can do, but I think it's critical that teachers you know, um, avail themselves to, to let parents know you're very much so a part of this. So relationship building is just critical. It's an essential piece um, teachers becoming super connected with their students um, and in turn also with the families, the relationship building. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Janae. I was going to see if anyone else wanted to chime in too. I think that's a great question from a, a Facebook uh, a viewer. Just what can parents do? I, I think there's just this sense of helplessness and whether it's, you know, supporting their kid at home or what they can do to support the district. Is there anything you guys like to, to chime in and offer there? Yeah, think, um, I'll go ahead. Are you sure? Yes, ma'am. All right, uh, I'll make it quick. I think um, one of the things I learned as a parent that I didn't learn until I was a coach was to just pay more attention. Pay more attention to your child, see what they're doing. Don't allow them to close off. Because even though our, our children, they, they come at different levels, uh, it might not be academic, it could be emotional, obviously. So you want to make sure that you're inviting them to open space, uh, trying to eat dinner together, finding common family time where you're literally checking in with them. If you can do phones downtime, try to do that. And also making sure that you're having conversation, verbal, real conversation, whether it's in the car, whether it's on the way to school, but really checking in with your child so you can hear how they're showing up emotionally. A lot of times youth will pretend to be okay, but they're not. And so I see a lot of that when I'm coaching students is their parents don't have any idea that they're really struggling. So making sure that you're checking in with them so that you can assess is my, are they regulated? We've used that term before. How, are they combing their hair? Are they, um, how, are they wearing a hoodie when it's 90 degrees outside and it's pool tight? What do I see in my child? And, and let me ask the school for help or let me ask my doctor for help. Uh, let me ask someone to help me with uh, this child because it's not, they're not gonna be academically strong if they're not emotionally strong. So as parents, I think our kids are easily distracted and so are we. And I think we owe it to them to really check in with them physically look at them, sit down with them and, and check and make sure that they're okay um, emotionally so that they can be better academically. 
Well, did you? I, I totally, I totally agree with that. Um, one app that has been great for me is called Screen Time, and there's different kind of apps like that. I mean, I love to just push the pause, and it, it pauses your kids' phones, and they can't use it until you. Un I mean, it's those little things to say, hey, let's let's bring it back in for a second. But I mean, it is, and this is me as the parent hat. I have two two children, one in uh, going to, into eighth grade, and one that is going to her junior year. And so really having it, you know, when it's not the same as when they were getting picked up in fourth and fifth and sixth grade and they hop in the car and they give you a rundown of everything they did from uh, lunch and what they did at recent. Now it's, you know, how was your day? Tiring. How was your day? Good. Okay. And so really ask, finding those probing questions. Um, how do you, you know, find ways to just do things? There's days when, you know, just I'd pick them up after school sometimes and we just go sit and get ice cream. You know, we go just talk about some things. Um, also utilizing some of the district's tools that are there. Um, a lot of the time you have parents that'll say, you know, with a week left in the, the grading period, I didn't know my child had this grade. And in our district, we have a program called Hack where at any time you can get on and, and check your students' grades. You know, you have some teachers use Google Classroom, these kind of, utilize those kind of things. And then also as a parent, uh, reach out to other parents. There are a lot of other parents who just don't know. A lot of times there's assumed knowledge, you know, so we think that other parents know. We think that other parents know the process of getting an IEP. We think these kind of things. So I think really talking to people and and talking to your friends and neighbors about these kind of things. Um, you know, when you see somebody on social media ask a question and you might read it and say, okay, they're wrong. Just Take that extra step. Give that parent grace. Let them know some of the things that are out there. I think the more we can help each other, it, it really helps us all. And it, it gets parents out of thinking they're in silos, where it's them versus the school instead of this, this group thing. So I think Ms. Charlton really hit on it is really being active, getting out there and getting proactive about what's going on and developing good relationships with your teachers. I have another question for uh, Felicia. Um, how, for parents who are very involved with their children already, how do you kind of balance between getting kids the help that they need without being too overbearing? That's a really great question. I have um, a 19-year-old and a 21-year-old, so I've had to practice <laughs> this as well. I think getting them used to the fact that you're going to be involved getting this is this is how I show up if you want me to say it differently I'm willing to work on that but I'm not going anywhere you can't push me out or away because it makes you feel more comfortable and so even though you know uh, some some youth are used to being independent because they have the technology teaching them how to treat you as a parent not just worried about how to treat them as a child and and sometimes being unapologetic about those healthy boundaries that you that you know are healthy if i need to talk to you uh 10 minutes before school starts after school starts i need that time i'm going to give you your time and so teaching them these are how these are healthy ways to communicate and i also learned a lot about microdosing and so I'm a bit, I can talk. And so giving, not giving the speech, but just 10 minutes. It doesn't have to be like it used to be. We don't have to do the leave it to beaver talk, but just 10 minutes of check-in time to let them know I'm here for you if you need me. But I also want to let you know that I need you too. I'm not just trying to teach you. I'm trying to grow together. And one of the things that I hear a lot is their input. Instead of telling them what to do, what do you think we should do here? And sometimes they're going to say, I don't know. They're going to be silent or quiet, but maybe saying, okay, well, next time we talk, maybe you can get back with me on that. Creating space for them to think, creating space for them to learn how to regulate themselves and creating space for them to understand, are you showing up the way that you want to show up? Instead of saying, you're not doing this right. A lot of times youth will say, I don't like how I feel right now. I don't like how that made me look. And then asking them, well, what, what do you want instead? And so giving them an out as well, not sitting in the trauma, but identifying an opportunity that they can grow from this and then doing it in small doses uh, is something that I believe is very helpful. I love that, I love that, Felicia. I think 
Uh, we are about out of time, so I think I'm going to have to call it here. Thank you all for uh, joining us today. I think this was a fantastic conversation, and I hope our audiences were able to get a lot out of it. I think there are a lot of helpful strategies and a lot of uh, methods that I think anyone at home could to take home for their own kids or, or administrators can take to the workplace. I think there was a lot there. Uh, I hope everybody got out of it. Uh, again, thank you all for joining us. I'm Nick Kirkman, the Community Impact Editor. Uh, Lee McClory, our Education Editor, joined us today. This is a community conversation on reclaiming education. Join us next month for another community conversation and stay tuned for more coverage about back to school issues in Dayton Daily News, Springfield News Sun, and the Journal Sun. Uh, the Journal News, I'm sorry. Uh, thank you all for joining us and I look forward to hearing more from you in the future. You can read a shortened transcript of this conversation on DaytonDailyNews.com slash ideas-voices. I'm your host, Nick Herkman. Join me next time as we talk to community leaders on topics important to the Dayton region. 